0: Is there someone in your life with whom you struggle? Now, don't run off. This is an extremely important podcast for you to listen to. It's important for me to go through it again, even though this is my personal devotion. I need to hear all of these things one more time, at least one more time, and you'll understand why. Let me state my question differently. Who bothers you? Has someone done something that has brought friction into your relationship with them? Now, what if you flip the question around? Have you done something to someone that has caused friction? Did you know that you have no other choice but to resolve this problem? Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I'm so glad that you are here. If you want to read this podcast, there are 2,000 words sitting on our website, and you are welcome to do that. They are free to you. It's brought to you by the folks who faithfully support this ministry. The title of the podcast, the title of the article, You Have No Choice But to Resolve Conflict with Others. This may be one of the more important podcasts that I have done in a while, It's not a secret our country is falling apart. For those of you who live in tyrannical countries and countries that have already gone down the toilet, well, we're just not used to that. We are somewhat spoiled in America, and though we have been circling the the drain for many decades now, it's almost as if they're hitting the power flush, and we are struggling from California to South Carolina, from Maine to Texas. Christians, I mean, everybody is struggling, but Christians are really struggling under the weight of what they see happening. Uh, They live with the hope of Christ in their hearts, and they know that Christ is a better solution. He is the solution. And though they don't want a theocracy, uh, they do want a country. We want a country that is motivated by the Bible, that finds its roots in the Bible, and that we're living we're living out of Scripture, and we that's just not happening. And because of that, anxiety is at—it's like an all-time high. People are frustrated. There's division in churches. There's division in families. There's a whole lot of division online. And I'm talking about—I'm just talking about the body of Christ— And so this is an intense time here in the States, and again, we're just not used to it. We're not used to this kind of suffering, and so we have to adapt because we know that we are aliens, and we are becoming more and more alienated as we wait for our future home. But because of that, this heat that we are experiencing, it is bearing down on everyone, but there is a lot of division going on in the body of Christ, whether it's the universal body of Christ or local churches or families who name the name of Christ. It is intense. I talk to my mastermind students every month, and I hear it from their churches. I hear it in their relationships, people that they Relate to in their sphere of influence. I also hear it from folks who come to our forums as they're talking about various divisions within marriages, within families, within churches. And that's why I think that this podcast and the article that I've written out here, as I have reflected on this subject, that's why I titled it Not Hyperbolically, but You Have No Choice But to Resolve Conflict with Others. If you are a Christian, And that other person is also in the body of Christ. The onus is on you to resolve the conflict. Now, I am talking about Christians. I realize that there's conflict between Christians and non-Christians, and maybe within your own marriage or within your own family. So many of us experience that, but for the sake of this podcast— I want you to think of one category of relationship, and that is Christian to Christian, whether it's a family member, relative, or someone else in the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, and that other person is also in the body of Christ, the onus is on you to resolve the conflict. There must not be a hairline crack in the body of Christ. If there is... It won't be long before your small fissure will it will turn into something more substantial and it could be irreparable. Now Paul talked about this idea when he wrote to the Romans. You know the text, twelve eighteen. Very short sentence. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. A short but powerful sentence. And then he took this idea and he paraphrased it and adapted it to the Corinthian church, where there was all kinds of division within this body. And so he shared this concept, if, uh, this concept of Romans 12:18, as much as it depends on you, of peaceably with all, he shared it with the Corinthians, where he, t- and this is how he did it. He tied conflict to the communion table. You can think of it like this. Think of the person that you have conflict with, and you tie yourself and that other person to the communion table. You strap yourself to the communion table. Paul was admonishing the Corinthians for their unwillingness to resolve the disputes in their relationships, and he centered his argument on nothing less than the violent death of Christ, the gospel. How remarkably profound. I imagine when a believer has a conflict with another believer, they do not consider how the bread and wine should be their primary motivation for working through. The differences. And when you frame your disagreement in light of that gospel message, it does intensify the need to do all that depends on you to rectify it. And that's why I intensified the title of this podcast, You Have No Choice But To Resolve Conflict with others we're talking believer to believer paul says that when you come together for communion he uses this language he says you must you must discern the body. He says that in 1129, 1 Corinthians 1129. Now, in context, he was speaking of the local expression of the body of Christ, which is the local church. And so when you come together as a local church, you must discern the body. He was telling the Corinthians that they must think about how they are interrelating with each other, how they are discerning the body when they come together, which is calling into remembrance Christ's violent death. When you come together, you discern the body as you are thinking about the violent death of Christ. How can you think of the violent death of Christ and harbor hate in your heart? How can can you strap yourself to the communion table, or more uh, visually, how can you strap your to the cross of Christ, which is where the violent death of Christ happened, and so as you strap yourself to the cross of Christ, you from that point, from that footing, you discern the body, your friends, your relationships. There was a division in the Corinthian church, and when they gathered for communion, it was as though the death of Christ was not vital to them. They were sweeping their interpersonal relationships under the proverbial rug. Paul told his friends that God would judge them for this. In 1118, First 1 Corinthians, he said this, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. And so that's what he said in 1118. And then in 1129, he says this, For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You see what he's doing? This interpersonal relationship that you have with another believer, he is tying that, that friction, that division to the communion table or the cross of Christ, the violent death of Christ. You must not ignore conflict and division as though it does not exist. You can apply Paul's use of discern the body to mean more than your local church, because all believers make up the body of Christ. Let's be real here. The body of Christ is real. It would be odd to say that discerning the body does not include the whole body of Christ. Let me ask you a question about this now. How are you doing with your believing family members? How are you doing with your believing extended relatives? What about other friends, those who name the name of Christ? We won't get into the minutiae of, well, I mean, they made a profession, but they don't have a possession, seemingly, subjectively. Let's don't go there. Let's don't go there for this podcast. Just answer the question straightforward, how are you doing with your brothers and sisters, whether you're married to them, whether you brought them into the world, whether they're your parents, your friends, et cetera, et cetera. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of believers participating in the body of Christ as they celebrate Christ's death. When there is unity within the body, you will see and experience the health of the whole body. You're participating. One of the key words here is participating. By the way, participation is a synonym for the word fellowship. You are participating in the body together. Communion is also a synonym for fellowship and participation. You are communing, you are participating, you are fellowshipping. And so when there is unity within the body, you're gonna experience the health of the whole body. It is like two cells actively living in a human body. I'm talking about physically here. And those two cells must participate in harmony or there will be a disease and the whole body will start to deconstruct, to divide. If the lack of health is unattended, it could be eventual death to that physical body. Now, from the spiritual perspective, if two believers are not living in harmony within the body of Christ, not living in harmony with each other, their participation in the body will wreak havoc on the body of Christ. Now, with this pr- perspective in mind, it causes you to wonder about the health of the body of Christ, the way some believers talk to others online. I'm just taking that as a snippet of some of the division that we see in in the body of Christ. Because I know what can happen is that we can disassociate what we do online as though it is a select category that permits complaining and grumbling and gossip and slander and, and more. And the reason I insert this here is because, I, I want, well, I want you to make sure you don't disassociate as though being online is not real and you're not interacting with real People, and I say that because I've seen so much sniping and and just disharmony, and I'm talking about brother to brother, brother to sister. There's so much junk going on between Christians online that there is no other way to categorize it except to say it is divisive. In fact, one of the things that you could do if you scroll through a few of your more recent comments, maybe for the last week or the last month. If you go online and you scroll through your comments and see what they reveal about your heart toward your brothers and sisters. Are you the cause of body healing or body division? And so as you strap yourself to the communion table, strap yourself to the cross of Christ and look at that person that you commented on, that you directed your comment toward on your social media platform from that position of the cross as you consider the violent death of Christ and that person who is in that same body, are you a divisive cell, a rogue cell, or are you bringing healing to the body? Now, let's bring the discussion back to the real world. I just wanted to take that digression because, well, it's important and you understand why. And as we come back to the real world, again, you never want to dichotomize how you talk in real space and in cyberspace. Now, one of the ways that i like to illustrate if a conflict exists is by asking the believer to go to another believer and offer him the bread and wine. I have done this many times in counseling situations where a husband and a wife, for example, where they have had conflict, and I would ask the question, uh, will you put the cup literally would you take the cup from the table and not drink it yourself but would you give not just give the cup to the other person but hold on to it and help them drink it put it to their lips a fellow body member if you struggle with me some of you do some of you do you don't like <laughs> you don't like me I mean, I don't like me some of the times. My wife doesn't like me some. I get it. I get it. I know who I am. You're not going to tell me something about me that I don't already know. I tend to be just a little bit black and white. I tend to be a little bit direct. This is who I am. I'm not excusing it, but I have a a personality, and and it doesn't make everybody warm and fuzzy. I understand. If I sin against you, I will will work hard to repent of it. But if you struggle with me, can you put the cup to my lips with a Christocentric attitude? Can you two believers, whether it's you and me or you and somebody else, can you two believers partake of the bread and the wine together? Is there anything that would prohibit you from having communion with another Christian? If two brothers or sisters cannot participate together in the Lord's Supper, they must do all that is dependent on each other to resolve the conflict, to eat and drink at the table is to remember that the grace you have received from Christ is what you must offer to others who were just as unlovable as you once were. Communion is a reminder of the unmerited favor you receive through the gospel. Minimally, you must be willing to offer a similar kind of grace to any believer. Pardon the redundancy here, but there must not be any division in the body of Christ. Now, where do you begin? Well, okay. All right. So I want you to think about, before I go any farther, I want you to think about where do you begin thinking about this? Where do your reflections go right now What's the first sentence that comes out of your heart. If your first response to the communion relationship puzzle, strapping yourself to the cross or to the communion table, offering the cup to that other person, if your are First response with someone is excuse making. You're in the wrong spot. That's that's not the starting place. I am aware that there are exceptions in some relationships that you have to work through. But that is not where you want to begin the diagnosis. The humble first response to what I've said thus far, it could be something like this. Wow. I love this perspective. And I want to examine my heart to see if there is any iniquity in my heart. It's not my brother, O oh Lord, but it's me. I stand in need of prayer. That is where you begin. The log is always the first stop in conflict resolution. I do want you to pause at this moment to examine how you have reacted in your heart to what you have heard thus far. If you need to pause the tape, for those of you who are over 40, or if you need to hit the pause button on your phone, just do that and reflect just for a moment on what your initial thoughts were. Did you start with your heart or did you start some other place? You don't wanna blow by the log in your eye socket while fixating on the speck in the other person. I see this mistake happening in social media all the time. For example, it just happened today, and it happens so often, but it's kind of ironic, maybe, it happened today. I, If I post an article or a graphic about anger and our need to examine ourselves, absolutely, and I do mean this, absolutely without exception, someone will blow past that, and they'll start talking about the righteous side of anger. They do it every blooming time. It is though these reactors cannot help themselves. Rather than sticking to the point and focusing on the context, they start with the caveats. Do not do this. There is a time, there is a place to talk about the nuance and the exceptions to your relationship problems, but not without proper self-examination. It is not possible to resolve all of the conflicts in your relationships, and that's one of the reasons why you want to make sure that you start with yourself and do significant heart work. Of course, this problem of not resolving all your relationships is why the truth in Romans 12:18 is so rewarding. Remember what Paul said, as far as it depends on you his point is clear there is only so much you can do when another person is part of the problem some things depend on you and there are other things that they must do if there is going to be a resolution now i have written uh, i've written a ton on conflict resolution and if you need to take a deeper dive into this subject then what i would appeal to you to do is go to our topical index page. It, it, it is full of categories or full of topics and categories, and you can look under the topic of relationships or, or conflict resolution, rather, and look for the category of relationships, and you can study for weeks if you wish. I wish some of you would do that. That would be fantastic. It would be so rewarding. Though you need insight into help and how to help another person with whom there is a struggle. Today's fundamental idea is what depends on you. And so if you want to think about how to resolve conflict with another person, please jump on that category, conflict, rela- uh, conflict resolution, jump on it and, and just study into your heart's content. But today... I am just talking about you, or in my case, I'm talking about me as much as depends on you. Perhaps your combatant is unwilling to transact forgiveness with you. You ask them to forgive you, and they won't. Okay, that happens, but that should never hinder you from having a heart of forgiveness toward them. The difference between transactional and attitudinal forgiveness is that the Transactional requires both people to participate while attitudinal only needs you, and so as much as it depends on you, minimally, you can have attitudinal forgiveness towards someone, regardless of how they respond to you. I have unresolved conflict in my life uh, there are, are people where there is just stuff and and it just hasn't it hasn't been resolved yet but I do not believe, and I have interacted with others to help ask them to discern my heart on certain situations, that do you sense any sinful attitude as I think about those people? You can have a heart of forgiveness toward anyone, regardless of whether you restore the relationship. Because of sin, it's not realistic to expect all relationships to live in harmony. There are some people in your life where you will always live with that hairline fracture. And some of these relationships may have a broader fissure. It's more like a ravine. My daddy was like this. He died before either of us got a clue. The Lord saved me six years after his passing. We could not reconcile for three reasons. Number one, initially it was because we were unbelievers. Lost individuals can only make up. That's all they could do. They can make up because they can't enjoy forgiveness because they live under God's wrath. So initially we couldn't reconcile because we were both unbelievers. Number, uh, second reason is, we couldn't reconcile. As he died before salvation came to me. So our breach could never find healing. And so his death prohibited any kind of full reconciliation. And then, number three, if he had not passed but did not become a believer, we would not enjoy full reconciliation. So, either way, that situation was never going. It will never reconcile. The only way for us to reconcile would be both of us knowing Christ and pursue each other until reconciliation was complete. Now, since that cannot happen, it's on me to do as much as depends on me to be at peace. Thus, I can forgive him in my heart which is attitudinal forgiveness. Now, I wrote about that process, and I have a link here in this article if you want to click on it. Uh, The title of the article is something like The Reason I Stopped Hating My Daddy or something like that, but there's a link here at this part of the article that I'm sharing with you right now, and you can click on it and it will take you right there. If you are doing everything that you can do, but the relationship continues unresolved, I appeal to you to read that article about my relationship with my dad and how I came to the place of attitudinally forgiving him. And then I have another one here on pre-forgiveness, which gets more into this idea of attitudinal forgiveness. The title of this podcast, You Have No Choice But To Resolve Conflict With Others. And I'm tying this to your relationship with the communion table, specifically the violent death of Christ. I have a a large call to action section here, and I'm going to work through some of it because it is so large, I won't be able to get through all of it, but I want you to at least get part of it because it is so important. In many of my podcasts, I don't get into the call to action, but I trust those that want to do more uh, studying of whatever the podcast is about, that they will uh, get on our website and get on the article and get into it and use these call to action questions. They're here. And so, whether you're ready now or ready, you know, 50 years from now, after I'm in heaven, Lord willing, they'll still be here and you can access them freely. All right. So, here's some of the call to action under again the podcast. You have no choice but to resolve conflict with others. Question number one, the relationship that you have with the Lord and other believers are inseparably intertwined, and it's important for you to get this concept. It's not just a horizontal relationship between you and the other person. It's a relationship between you and the other person and God. You can think of it like a triangle if you want to. Or a circle, and all three of you are in the circle. I talked about dichotomizing your real world and uh, cyberspace relationships, and you don't want to make that mistake. But did you know that you can dichotomize how you relate to God and others too? You want to apply this teaching about discerning the body to the entire body. Don't think you're right with God when you're not right with others. And this is what I'm talking about. You can dichotomize The other person and God, and you can think about you and the other person in a category and you and God in a category, and you can come to believe that you and God are okay when you and the other person is not right. No, you can't dichotomize your relationship with God and others. You, them, and the Lord are intertwined. Number two, how do your thoughts about another believer enhance or prohibit communion in Christ's body? As you think about the violent death of Christ and being strapped to the communion table or the cross, how does your thought about another believer, it will either enhance that experience that you have with Christ or it will inhibit, prohibit. It will downgrade your relationship with Christ because of your relationship with another believer. Number three, is there a brother or sister in your life who you could not give the cup and the bread to, and receive the same from them. That person comes to you, and they have the cup in their hand, and they hold it to your lips, and you drink from the cup as they are holding uh, onto it. If you can't do this, then you cannot fully participate in the body of Christ. And I'll go back to, for those of you who do a lot of disciple-making, especially uh, marriage counseling, working with couples, uh, I would encourage you to talk about the communion table. And what you will find is that the communion is just a it's, it's a routine for a lot of people that they really don't have a rich relationship with the communion table that they don't have a rich relationship with the cross of Christ. And you can imagine that if you don't have a rich relationship with the cross of Christ, well, then you can pretty much treat anybody the way you want to treat them because you are not reverencing the head or or the body. You're not loving God or others. But there are people who do think highly of the communion table, the bread, and the wine, and the cross. And it means a lot to them, but they dichotomize that as though relationships with other people in real space or cyberspace, uh, is, is it's not it's not full participation, and they don't see it as full participation. And so is there a brother or sister in your life who You could not give the cup and bread to and receive the same from them. If that is true, then you're not fully participating in the body of Christ. There's... Three more questions here for you, and they're all significant. I would encourage you to work through them. Some of you will want to talk about this. We will want to talk to you, and so you can get on our free community forum. If you're not a supporting member, and it's fine, you don't have to be. Don't be a supporting member. Forget about it. Just get on. Talk to us. It's free. Thank you so much for listening.